0: Price of doing good. It is Super Bowl Sunday. Y'all know I remember when I was in the, when, was I, when I was in the Baptist church, and we always had church on Sunday night. And I was always trying to figure out a way, a godly way, to not go to church on Sunday night of Super Bowl. And then I finally got free and had a night I didn't have to go, and I went. I literally got up and went and found a church to go to so I would feel better. Anyway, it's kind of funny. What? You did say that they're having a Super Bowl party today at four. I guess the men's group decided they wanted to have one, and you're all invited. Bring food. I'm not coming. I'm going to deal with my jet lag in peace by myself so that when I forget, when I get crazy in my head, I can just fall over and fall asleep and get the little bit of sleep I can get. Um, Price of doing good. The price of doing good. The, The lesson today is that doing good doesn't mean things turn out right. And where we see the Apostle Paul dead, because of what I'm I'm still, by the way, you know, I came back home unexpectedly. Mama Gail was supposed to preach. She said, I'm not preaching, you're home. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty much what she did. And I said, that's fine, because I can preach whether I want to or not because I've learned how to do that. Plus, I've got, I, here's what's fun. While I was over there, I said, you know what? I could probably preach one more sermon to my introduction to Ephesians. And so now I get an opportunity to. We'll actually get to the book of Ephesians, but I want to set the stage. And here's, here's, the, here's the stage I want to set. I think that I've come to the conclusion, and this is, listen, um, sometimes when you're doing Bible teaching, you have to look between the lines. In fact, you always have to look between the lines. Uh, my granddaughter called me this week and she said, I'm reading First Corinthians and I don't understand it. And um, I said, fine, read it to me. And so I got to teach my granddaughter some Bible online and, and that was fun, right? But what was interesting was, was listening to her deal with a passage where she had no background or foundation. So I wanna, I wanna point something out. Moses knew when he was receiving the law that he was giving the people of God a, a codified uh, way of living that they would receive and live by for who, who knew how long, maybe forever. And one of the things that I told her was, listen, Paul didn't know he was writing the Bible You understand that? Paul did not know that what he was doing was being a a kind of a new Moses who was writing new covenant law for new covenant people to know how to live in the new covenant. What he was doing was being a pastor filled with the spirit, an apostle of God, and, and he was dealing with the situational problems of the people. Meanwhile, he was having his own situational problems, and that's where I want you to be today. Because what we have today is is we we have to get inside the the apostle. What's going on with him? And so what I think that I have, I have understood here is that Ephesus was one of the places where Paul was in prison. Luke doesn't tell us this. You have to, you have to sleuth at it from between the lines. But we do, know, um, we do know that he wrote prison epistles. And I actually think that he actually wrote the Ephesian letter from an Ephesian prison. I also think it was a, intended to be a circular letter um, that was that was not just for this one body of people but that had a regional impact because the, the content of the letter to the Ephesians had a, had a, an impact that was clear it was written to a corpus of people that was probably bigger than a local church in Ephesus. Got it? The other thing we learn is that when Paul writes his letters, he drops little hints of the stuff he's going through. And In 1 Corinthians, we get hints of what he was going through at Ephesus. And so I wanna close my introduction with that. What I did do was I gave you uh, three sermons on on the book of Acts in chapter 19, where it talks about what he went through. And what he went through was spiritual warfare. Mama Gail wants you to come together and do spiritual warfare. The Lord has had me focused on spiritual warfare. I went over to India and preached on, uh, well, actually, I preached with an expectation of being in warfare while I was there. Spiritual warfare is, is, is practical life lived out. Spiritual warfare is what we're going through. So when people say to me, even to, even asking about uh, my, our brother Errol's health, is this, is this uh, physical or spiritual? Yes. Can we talk? Yes. Because in life, we say this has happened to me. When, and when I was studying this this week, or last couple of days, I said to Gail, um, I said, Do you think on this trip that Paul would have said to the saints, we would have gone to Shandagar, but the devil prevented us? Or would he have said, the Lord forbade us? Because see, those are the kind of things you have to go, what's going on here? And uh, by the way, I think I was was supposed to go to Shandagar. still think I am supposed to go to Shandagar. I'm telling you what, I've got somewhere I don't like to go to the grocery. I want to just stay home and deal with the problems I have in my own yard. Let's pull a few weeds and answer a few texts. And, and, uh, but the Lord is saying otherwise. He's saying otherwise. And um, so while I have health, it'll be spent. Price of doing good. Ready? Let's dig in. Whoops. If I can. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31. You've heard me talk about this before. This is where I ended last time I preached. I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I die every day. Want to follow Jesus? That's the price of doing good. What does I die every day mean? It means your schedule gets interrupted. It means it means uh, it means your 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 hopes get uh, dashed. It means um, <laughs> it means you say yes when inside you're screaming no. <laughs> it means uh, you go through what you're going through, and you're not trying to get through it. You're trying to deal with it. So so we die daily. I die every day. I die every day. I die every day. Listen, uh, uh, people who who run every time they get their feelings hurt are not dying every day. One of the reasons you're getting your feelings hurt is the Lord's trying to kill you. Can we talk? Because he can get you. If the Lord can get a group of people who are not tossed around by by their feelings, he can do something with them. If the Lord can get a group of people who are, not, who are not just tethered to their own pain, he can do something with them. If the Lord can get a group of people who will say yes when everything in them is screaming no, he can do something with them. But in order to do that, you have to die. And uh, you know, for some of you who, who, who are having a hard time dying, he gets you married so you can learn double. Because that's, you want, a, you want a great marriage? Then die. What do I gain? If humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus if the dead are not raised. Now, context is, I, I just went back into 1 Corinthians 15. The first letter to the Corinthians ends with a chapter on the resurrection. And it's a fantastic chapter. And, he, and here he sort of, he's, he's uh, capping off his idea. And he says, so what do I gain? Humanly speaking, if I fought with beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised. There's a lot going on here. And he says, so let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Now I want you to remember something about the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was just like New Life City. It had, it, had, it had believers who acted like unbelievers. <laughs> it had people who made bad decisions. It had all kinds of stuff. And, and he's exhorting them. Now, there was a time in my life when I remember that I said uh, that following Jesus was so wonderful that even if it was not true, I was glad I was following Jesus. And then I read 1 Corinthians. And when I read that, I went, oh, I need to repent of that stupid thing that I just said. Because when it talks about the resurrection, it says this, if the dead are not raised, then we are of all people the most miserable. Because it means we've been defrauded worse than any people who've ever lived. Because you and I are living as if the dead are raised in Christ. You and I are living as if this life is not all there is to get. You and I are living as if we are stewards of the mysteries of God and not the objects of all our passions. We're living like there's another world. And so he says, what do I gain if humanly speaking I fought with beasts at Ephesus? Now this is interesting to me because he's talking about the Ephesian corpus. And I'm saying to you, he fought with beasts at Ephesus. Now, one of the other hard things about reading the Bible is that every person who first starts reading their Bible read it with a kind of a wooden literalism. And so you go, you go looking to see you know, where he fought with beasts. And sometimes when Paul is talking about something, he means it in a literal fashion. I don't think this is one of them. I think he's drawing from the image of people who fight with beasts in the arena But I don't think that's what he, it's not not what happened. Because he even tells us, he even gives us a clue. What do I gain if, humanly speaking? He's obviously making a metaphor here. If I fought with beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised. And so now I'm interested because I'm going to study the Ephesian corpus and because it's going to come to a, a climax with spiritual warfare. And because when I read about what happened to Paul, it was spiritual warfare in Acts chapter 19. And so I'm, I'm seeing these things. And listen, the spiritual warfare that was going on had an impact in the spirit and it had an impact on, in the ground, right where they're living. All spiritual warfare has practical application because you're dealing with life. Now, what do I gain? If humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus if the dead are not raised. What are these beasts? I'm glad you asked. The beasts that we fight with and because... I want you to understand that you are fighting with beasts. The beasts that we fight with are typically not uh, like wrestling a lion. The beasts that we wrestle with are corporate entities with beastly behaviors. Anybody who's ever lived inside of a corporation, or a public institution, or a religious institution, have felt themselves at one time or another to be wrestling with something that seems to be alive and that you can't ever get hold of and you can't ever seem to defeat. Um, how many of you know the name Bob Mumford? Well, oh, a lot of you. I met Bob Mumford a few few years ago. Bob Mumford was part of that group that developed the shepherding movement. The shepherding movement was fashioned, I think it was the 70s. I think it was um, not as early as the 60s, but I think it was in the 70s. And it was a a movement that was designed to make rigorous disciples. And the idea was that you got into a hierarchical uh, chain of relationships where you answered to people and people answered to you. And they, they designed it. It had really good intentions. The idea was that accountability will make us better disciples, right? We all feel that a little bit to some degree. Um, and if you ever meet anybody who was in the shepherding movement they they literally had to have something akin to a deliverance to get well after they got out of it. And once in a while, I'll meet people, uh, in, even, even in our own city, who are in churches that are like shepherding movements. And what you do is you lose your ability to make decisions because you're not, you're, like, is this okay? Is this wrong? Am, am I being submissive? Am I being rebellious? And, and literally, you need probably uh, therapy, inner healing, and deliverance to get well when the thing is over with. When Bob Mumford was, I'm going somewhere. It's a mess in my mind, but I'm going somewhere. It's like, it's, like a, it's like a bunch of snakes in a river wrestling with one them. It's in there, and it's gonna come out. Y'all never saw a lonesome dove dude fell in a river and he fell in the snakes? Okay, there it is. I can't get it out of my head. We st- Never mind. Never mind. And so when Bob Mumford was talking about that, he literally said, We created a principality. And he used the biblical word for ruler, RK. He said, we didn't intend to. He said, we were trying to make disciples and we created a monster. We created a beast. And then he said, and I'll never forget it. And Mumford was uh, already in his eighties when I heard him say this. And he said, "And, and I decided that I would kill it or it would kill me. And then he started crying and he said, both happened. If I fought with beasts at Ephesus, when I have taught on the book of Revelation, I really especially major on the 13th chapter with the picture of the two beasts that are given in that chapter. One of them is a beast from the sea and one of them is a beast from the earth. And if you read the descriptors of those beasts, one of them is a religious entity and one of them is a governmental entity. And in both cases, they act like beasts and they oppress the people of God. Wanna do spiritual warfare? Seriously, wanna do spiritual warfare? Then you're gonna fight with beasts. And you're gonna be surprised at the beasts. And no beast ever relinquishes its place. They have to be killed. The secret of trying to do church is to is to somehow live in corporate life of the church without the church being a beast, and almost everybody who determines they're going to um, avoid it just refashion it into a new beast. I kind of think that one of the realities is that we are designed to wrestle beasts. And in fact, the book of Revelation really only gives two kinds of advice about it. One of the pieces of advice is endurance and the other one is wisdom. In other words, suffering and understanding. And you don't, and you don't fight with a beast so you don't have to suffer you suffer fighting with a beast. And so what I'm talking to you about is the Apostle Paul is in a time of horrible suffering. And if you read some of his letters, it leaks out of him. Most especially the Second Corinthians pass- the, uh, letter. No, no passage does it come clearer than that one. So here at the end of 1 Corinthians, he's talking to us, and he's talking about fighting with beasts at Ephesus. What was the fighting with beasts at Ephesus? Well, we do know, we do know that Paul ran into what? Religious conflict and civil conflict. He ran into both. Religious conflict was Paul doing what Paul did, being rabbi, going to synagogue, preaching the kingdom in the synagogue and eventually getting kicked out or usually beat out of the synagogue. Because when he says that he was beaten with uh, 40 lashes, that, that, was, that was, save, save one, <laughs> that was a, a Jewish way of beating you. Um, so, he would, so he would go preach Jesus. He would get beaten. He would go to the next city, do it again. And you can read about how people who, were, who opposed Paul would go ahead of him and prepare the cities for he was coming. This is discipleship, guys. I'm, I'm discipling you to live your lives, to live your lives ferociously, to live your lives courageously to live your lives authentically, to live your lives as disciples of Jesus who make simple decisions in life that create more disciples. Um, Okay, that's introduction. (laughs) And then we come to the 16th chapter. I've skipped some verses. And he says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia for I intend to pass through Macedonia and perhaps I'll stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go uh, for I do not want to see you um, now just in passing. I will hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits, but I will stay in emphasis until Pentecost for a wide door of effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Now, I'm back, to, I'm back to Ephesus. I'm back to his reference about Ephesus. Now, I think that what happened in Ephesus was, um, for the first time in Paul's um, missionary ventures, he actually had been able to stay. Because you, you, read, you read the book of Acts, he's usually getting run out of town. This time he gets run out of synagogue, and then he rents the hall of Tyrannus. When he rents that hall, I, I, I told you a couple of weeks ago he probably preached. It was interesting. He had the he had the, he had the hall for the afternoon hours. Um, that's written in another ancient text, which which is why um, Pete Wagner dubbed it Siesta Seminary. Because when the rest of the city was asleep, he was, he was teaching the kingdom to some disciples uh, in, the, in the hall of Tyrannus. And and we know that he stayed there for um, about two years teaching. So that for Paul would have been a wide door of effective work, an amazing door of service. Um, and he says in the middle of it, and there are many adversaries. Wow. Wow. Uh, I started my ministry in a time of revival and I started my ministry in a time when churches were flourishing, growing, things were happening. And now I'm at the reasonable end of my ministry and I'm watching churches decline and suffering and the public reputation of the gospel is at stake and and people are everywhere preaching against church and people everywhere are preaching against kingdom. And it's, listen, it's like an incredible antichrist season. And Paul says, there are many adversaries. Unless you drink the world's Kool-Aid, you're gonna be faced with adversaries to everything you say. Well, I'm not drinking it. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost now, what I believe happened, just so you know, is that he has this wide door of effective work and many adversaries, and then there's a riot. What caused the riot? Spiritual warfare. What caused the spiritual warfare? Preaching the kingdom brought a religious threat which caused an economic disruption, which caused a riot, which caused a civil disruption. There's spiritual warfare. In other words, spiritual warfare is you creating problems for the systems of this world and the systems of this world reacting to you in kind and upping the ante. And then I think we see Paul... uh, imprisoned and writing from prison we know of at least three imprisonments that paul had we know he had one in uh, in uh, Caesarea Philippi we know he had that imprisonment we know he had the imprisonment in, in Rome and we and we know he had another imprisonment from which he wrote the prison epistles and oh boy so so paul's in trouble I, years ago, I preached a series of messages uh, called um, The Adversaries in the Open Door. Something like that. I don't know if that's really the title. And I, and I talked about the adversaries. And I've done that a number of times here. So let me say it again. I want you to get it. The beasts that we face in this world are religious, governmental, and cultural, at least. Economic would be another. Okay. Now, something has happened, and, and something is happening. Guys, are you paying attention? Uh, but I, think that we're, but I think that most of us are trying to pay attention, and probably we're not able to pay attention. And so uh, one of the things that, if, if I'm going to be a minister of the gospel, one of my assignments is to pay attention to bigger things than whether somebody's mad about what color the carpet is. When I was a young man, all my time was spent adjudicating those kind of things. Uh, as as I've gotten to be an older guy, I don't care. I just don't care, and 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 don't say it, Alan. Don't say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You want me to say it until I say it? Because I've had people tell me that guy say anything, and I, you know, I wasn't sure. So, so. Um, We went through the 20th century. And if you're as old as me, and you look back on the 20th century, you know we went through a lot. And in fact, the world in the 20th century had uh, the worst genocides in the history of mankind. Previous to the 20th century, there had been... like like plagues that were the equivalent, but the, the level of genocide um, we've had wars that were equivalent, but genocide's a different thing. Genocide is when leaders take authority and in so doing, they, they do something to the mind of the people that are under them. And then over a period of time, it becomes reasonable to kill people for the sake of your ideology, okay? And strangely enough, in America, we're very affected by Nazism and the genocide of the Nazis, uh, particularly against the Jews. There's a great sensitivity um, there. But we seem to be, very, very blind to the communist genocides. Like for instance, on your college campuses, if anybody started a Nazi group, people would go insane. But you can start a communist group and people don't go insane. And it should create the same kind of insanity. Absolutely, should create the same kind of sand. Anyway, you had those things. And most of that stuff didn't start till, the the worst of it was after, um, well, it was right around the time of the end of World War I and through the the middle um, 60 years of the century. There was still some on either side, but during that time, you had monsters arise. Well, we're, we're not really paying attention. And, and I'll tell you why. Part of the reason we're not paying attention is because in, in America, our uh, news has become um, truncated into a partisan flap. And we get 24 hours partisan flap. Whereas most of us don't know that in uh, communist China, they're creating an absolute surveillance state that ought to frighten you beyond imagination. Most of you don't know what's going on in India with the formulation of a radical Hindu state that, that wants to eliminate all other voices Some of you have paid attention to what's happening in Turkey and to the radicalization of what was a very democratic and liberal Muslim nation now becoming increasingly radical. I can go nation to nation to nation. Something is happening right now in our world with, um, um, with leaders rising to power and then eliminating their enemies. Um, there's some concern in America because listen, populism turns into totalitarianism if you're not careful. And the Western countries are more attracted to populism right now and there's lots of that going on. And that's why people are afraid of Donald Trump, if you want to know the truth. That's why people are afraid of Boris Johnson. But there's something happening in the world that ought to cause us to pay attention. And everywhere, people's civil liberties are coming under assault. In America, whether you know it or not, American civil liberties are coming under assault by a mindset of illiberalism. Write down that word if you don't know it. We all know liberalism, but you don't know the word illiberalism. Go look it up and, and then be chastened. Because, because there's an illiberal spirit in America and, and, and they will be happy to take your job from you. Happy to censor your voice from every public forum. Okay, this stuff is happening, right? Now, I'm not trying to turn into a rapture preacher to scare you into heaven. But I am trying to say, be alert, pay attention, preach the gospel, and don't say yes to oppression. Don't say yes. Now you say, well, how do I know if I'm in trouble? Watch this. Anytime you're intimidated to speak. You're in the presence of a principality. Say it again. Anytime you're afraid to speak out and say what you think is true, you're in the presence of a principality. I'm I'm your pastor and believer. You you have no idea how many things I want to say but I feel that it's not the check of the Holy Spirit. It's the intimidation of the culture. It's very powerful. I'm, I'm, teach, I'm having fun teaching theology because I'm throwing this stuff at them and they're going, because it's our job to watch and it's our job to speak up. The, the single most um, this, the canary in the room is always free speech. The canary in the room. When free speech is endangered, everybody's in danger. And if, and and I'm telling you, when when even when the people you can't, you disagree with don't have the freedom to say what what you disagree with, then there's trouble. Okay, y'all okay? I, I, was, I did this last night and I was like, went home afraid that I'm like, I always check, to, check with Gail to see if we're all still living. And, and this is, I'm actually going at this a lot heavier than I did even, even last night. Cause I'm, I'm like after this devil. There's only one way to deal with this stuff, suffering. There's no other way. No other way. There's no other way to deal with God. God's established one way to deal with evil. Righteous suffering. I'll stay in Ephesus till Pentecost for a wide door of effective work is open to me. And there are many adversaries. And so Paul is in Ephesus. They cast out demons. When they cast out demons, people began to burn their idols. When people burn their idols, the tradesmen felt the pressure when the tradesmen felt the pressure they rioted when they rioted the civil authorities got involved and that's where I think Paul ended up in prison again now that's not an absolute fact but he ended up in prison enough and when he was uh, when he ended up in prison before it was also over a deliverance because in the ancient world deliverance threatened the local commerce because all of the worship of idols uh, had, had it produced an economy. When I went to India, I intentionally believed that pub- public deliverance was supposed to take place. And I remembered when the sermon, when the time came up that I knew I'm going to preach this sermon, I, I honestly, I felt intimidated. I'm like, I'm in a, another nation. I can, I can pull this off. Um, but... but but I knew it. I knew it before I left. I knew it when I was there. Got to preach this message. Got to go after this. And so when I'm preaching on this, the people are like nodding because they're actually worshiping idols. People that were there were actually had idols. And they were actually nodding as I'm talking. Some of you have idols. They're, they're telling me they do. And I said, Today you're going to get rid of your idols. I invite them to come. Listen, every service, people got saved. Every service, people got healed. And, uh, and, and then in this service, deliverance happened. Boy, when the deliverance happened, and, and first of all, the Lord was really good because uh, he didn't let me get my ego all twisted up. In fact, what the Lord does is he lets you get your ego f- flattened. Because I preached my sermon, people came forward, we renounced everything, and then I was like, Literally, I was like, yeah, that ain't it. And I, and I, I kind of sat down and I was like, what's going on, Lord? I did have one of those moments, you know? And then the pastor of the house got up and he's, he's 75 and he got up, he brought his chair up to the edge of the platform and he's sitting on his chair and he started talking and people say amen, talking, people say amen, talking, say amen, talking, say, people say amen. And then he shouted, And a lady screamed out in agony, (laughs) right? And then public deliverance took place, right? Come on, you give that a hand, you can give that a hand. Now, the woman said, I've had these spirits for 11 years. I go to churches all the time. I've never been bothered. I came to this church today And she said, that man started preaching and I couldn't look at him. Come on, now listen, listen. That's not about... You want a breakthrough. You want a breakthrough. But in most cases, the breakthrough will then mean more conflict. Great door of service, more conflict, more trouble. Um, I think those of you who are in your 20s can expect to see tumultuous happenings by the time you're my age that that are going to be very disturbing. And I don't say that to frighten you. But I say that to make you alert. And I say that because I'm telling you, it is really a time. um, I've never seen Christians melting in America like they are right now. They're melting by theologies that they're hearing that rob their zeal. They're melting by personal pain that they experience that makes them not want to go on. Um, They're they're melting by, they're, they're melting by conflicts in churches. They're melting by uh, literal doctrines that are designed to destroy the local church. And I'm watching people melt. So I've got a few years left. I want I want some people who are made out of out of stuff that won't melt in the heat. Okay, but you've got to pay attention, and if you get your morality and your philosophy of life and your way of thinking from the world, you're gonna melt. You're gonna melt. But there is going to be a a people who will say no. Listen, in in Nazi Germany, there was the official church and the official church was completely co-opted by Hitlerism. The confessing church did not get co-opted. And it was a small, cobbled together group of people who basically what they said was they they, they were opposed to Nazism and Hitlerism. That stuff was a form of worship. If you look back at it, it was designed as a form of worship. I'm gonna argue with you as I have been arguing for, for months now and probably a couple of years now is that there is a new religion in America, a, a secular religion. It's, it, liberalism is not the danger to the church. It's illiberalism that's a danger to the church that makes things sacred that are not sacred and causes believers to rethink their morality and to conform to the image of this world. Did I not see an article yesterday about about bishops of the Church of England who were forced to publicly apologize because they stated openly that that the design of of God for sexuality was, um, was heterosexual monogamous marriage. And they actually apologized because they were insensitive. You can look it up. You can look it up. That's that's illiberalism. Now listen, people can live any way they want to. But we're the disciples of Jesus. People can call anything good they want to, but we're the disciples of Jesus. To call somebody lord means you're not It means you receive revelation and you receive truth. It doesn't mean you invent truth. Can we talk? And so what's happening is, is that always when something terrible happens, uh, we find ourselves swallowed up by the beast before we know that he's even got us in his grips. Religious beasts And governmental beasts never relinquish power. They always want more. Always want more. Always want more. Individual freedom, individual conscience, individual liberty is the enemy to these beasts. And this is what I'm empowering you to walk in. This is what I'm calling you to be, the disciples of Jesus who live humbly. I'm not calling you to go kill people, but I'm calling you to be willing to die, therefore calling you to war. All right, we okay? I'm almost done. Last night I didn't have as much time. I'm sorry, I had more time today. All right, this is, and I, I'm do, I will do the same thing I did with this one last night. I'm, I don't have time to preach this. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be watchful. This is, this is what you do with an open door service and beasts. If you're gonna wrestle beasts and if you're gonna walk in an open door, this is what you do. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Now, this is always a fun passage in church these days because you're supposed to to translate that into act like people. That's the illiberal spirit that I'm talking about. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. My last sermon when I was in India was that verse. It was a men's meeting And I said, okay, what you're here for is to be watchful. What I've just demonstrated for you a little bit is that being watchful means, it means more than than paying attention to how much money you have for tomorrow. That's part of it. But being watchful means paying attention to what's actually going on around you. And please understand, anybody who knows me knows I'm not a fearful person. I'm not trying to create, I want you to only fear the Lord. I'm not trying to create fear in you. But I want you to be watchful and say there's a problem over there. Stand firm in the faith. Very specific. What is Paul going to do in the last bits of Ephesians? He's going to tell you to stand. Here's the seed of it right here. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. I think that's how you act like a, a man. Um, By the way, there's not anything that's under more attack in Western civilization than the spirit of men. I've, I've said this about three weeks in a row now. I've gone at it in different ways. We have got to just stop destroying the souls of men because what we've done is we've made men unable to make a living, unable to function in the world, unable to make commitments to women, unable to raise their children. We're not ennobling women by demeaning men. We're not doing it. And it's the spirit of the age. And what's going on in our culture right now is men are being run out of universities in droves. They're not going. Men are being emasculated in every way. So let the church be a place where men are ennobled. Let the church be a place where men are honored. Let the church be a place where men are taught how to love their wives and love their children. Let the church be a place where men can believe that they can grow up and make a difference. They can grow up and make a covenant. They can just grow up. (laughs) Hallelujah. Be strong. Nowadays, if you tell somebody to be strong, you're shaming them. No, be strong. And then he adds the caveat that makes all the difference. Let everything you do be done in love. And then he gives some more practical teaching here. And I'll close here in just a minute. I have made it to... Now, are you ready to study Ephesians? Now we're gonna study Ephesians. Stand together, and we'll finish Ephesians. Uh, You're gonna be glad to have the Super Bowl this afternoon. Hey, listen, if what you have heard from me is a discouragement, then you have not heard me today. I'm not discouraged, I'm not afraid, I'm not defeated, I'm not overcome. But listen, there really are beasts in the world. They were here in the last century. They're here in this century. There really are adversaries in the world. There really is trouble and tribulation in the world. There really is something to be concerned about in the world. But what God does is he throws us right in the middle of it and says, you're what I'm doing about that. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are the faithful in Christ Jesus. Say that with, in Christ Jesus. Okay, that's the theme. In fact, that's the theme of Paul's writings. 86 times in Paul's writings, you'll see the phrase, in Christ, in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. You'll only see him talk about the kingdom five or six times, but he talks about the king over and over and over. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? If you catch this, then you'll go away with all that you need. Goliath stood and challenged the armies of Israel. And he said to them, send out your champion, send out one man, send out one man. And if he conquers me, we'll serve you. David goes out and says, who is this dog that's challenging the armies of God? And David went out and confronted Goliath. And inside of David was the fate of Israel against the Philistines. If David is slain by Goliath, then the people of God are the servants of the Philistines. If Goliath slays David, then the people of God are the servants of the Philistines. The whole nation was in David. That's what it means to be in Christ Jesus. Now, if you can get that, you can go through anything. Because I'm all the way back to where I was in the beginning. You and I are in the risen one. You and I are in the one who went and fought with beasts and prevailed You and I are with the one that went into the mouth of death and came out alive. You and I are in the one who dealt with our sin and came out clean. This is Jesus. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. Old things are passed away, all things have become new. That's the gospel, that's the teaching, that's the call. Who's ready to fight with beasts?